and welcome to the Healthcare Real Estate Advisor Podcast. I'm Joel Swider, an attorney with Hall Render, which is the largest healthcare-focused law firm in the country. Um, please remember that the views expressed in this podcast are those of the participants only and do not constitute legal advice. Um, we're in Scottsdale, Arizona today at Hall Render's Healthcare Real Estate Legal Summit, and I'm pleased to have with me Lori Damon, the Managing Director of Cushman & Wakefield's Healthcare Advisory Practice. We're going to be talking today about trends in property management and some of the challenges and opportunities facing health providers in managing their real estate. Lori, thanks for joining me. Thank you. I'm pleased to be here. So, Lori, before we dive into the property management, um, I wanted to get to know you a little bit and start with your background, who you are and how you came to be such an expert in the area of healthcare real estate services. Um, You earned your bachelor's degree from Hood College in English Literature, your PhD from Purdue, and you also uh, taught a course at Harvard. How did you get into healthcare real estate? Um, Purely by accident. I I am classically trained. I was trained to be an English professor, and I spent a number of years teaching. Um, I ultimately decided that that was really not the career for me, and I I came back to Washington, D.C., which was my college home, and I found a job working in a trade association as the editor of their magazine. One of my colleagues there left shortly about a year after I had joined the firm, and she went to work at BOMA International. And a year later, she called me and said, hey, we have this job as our director of education. Would you, would you be interested? You should interview. We're doing a lot of online learning, which I had done. Uh, I had piloted some online learning programs at Purdue. So I interviewed at BOMA, and I took the job. And I didn't know a thing about real estate or healthcare real estate, except that I went to doctors in medical office buildings. Um, but I had a really great I had the best luck in that BOMA had a small medical office buildings conference that they asked me to be in charge of, and I am curious. So I had the good fortune of learning from some of the industry leaders by virtue of asking them to speak and contribute content to BOMA's conference. So I learned a lot from John Weiner, who was then at Ernst & Young and now is at Seavest. Todd Lillibridge was one of the first investors in medical office, and I used to talk with him every week to get a primer on why somebody would buy medical office. Um, Gordon Soderlund, Danny Prosky, I mean, some of the luminaries in the industry and some of those who are really early early to commit to this sector were taught me the business. And then out of that, um, in order to create our strategy for growing the conference, we really wanted to have the perspective of health systems. So I was always the person calling somebody and saying, oh, I'm sorry, I, I can't pay you an honorarium, but would you be willing to come and speak at my conference? And so I, I really um, established good relationships and listened to those, to those health systems and to real estate companies trying to navigate um, trying to navigate their portfolios, right? And I always say that one of the most important lessons that I learned is that the real estate industry wasn't really built for healthcare and has always, I think, struggled in some ways to accommodate healthcare because healthcare doesn't fit easily into some of our sort of standard boxes to classify the real estate or classify the occupants or classify the owners. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting to, to think of BOMA MOB conference as a small conference, right? I mean, there's, what, thousands of people now? There, you guys have really grown it. There are 1,500 people there, but okay. in my first BOMA conference, there were about 100, wow. and I was one of two women. Okay, wow. <laughs> so so it was, it was a great experience to watch that conference grow. It was... 
Um, some of that was just the luck of market timing because the sector was starting to take off and there was more interest in it. Um, but I think it was also just very, just very good fortune in having the right set of volunteers who were, were industry leaders and who were good at recognizing that the industry itself needed to come together and create a venue where we could talk about some of the more complicated matters of working in this sector and where we could create a forum for health systems and investor owners and developers and property management companies to sort of collaborate on and establish a track record of best practices and um, you know common procedures, if you will. A lot of that was really did not exist. And in its essence, that is the, the obligation of BOMA as the industry's leading trade association. So it, it made sense. It gave us the perfect venue in which to do that. And then, you know, one volunteer, we were so fortunate because one volunteer would recruit another. And I can't even tell you how many hours of time all of those folks that I mentioned not only spent teaching me, but just contributing to the industry so that we could have a body of knowledge about this particular sector. Sure. So and, and how long have you been with Cushman now? So I'm in my sixth year. Okay. Um, I, I will finish my sixth year in December. Okay. And in my mind, I think about BOMA as, as you mentioned, I mean, it's a trade association. You're, you're sharing best practices. For, for someone that wasn't involved, maybe on the operational side before you, you know, before your role, and maybe maybe I'm overgeneralizing, but how did you transition then from BOMA? You had a lot of knowledge and expertise to where you are now, where you're really applying that for right. clients. So I think one of the things that um, was very advantageous about my role at BOMA was that I really had a bird's eye view on the whole industry. Right, I wasn't in it. Um, BOMA sits outside of it, but it but can see all of the things, all of the major real estate firms, regional firms, smaller firms, all of those folks are BOMA members. And, um, and there's a cross-section of owners and management companies and brokerage houses who come together to comprise the membership of BOMA. And my job, I was just fortunate because my job was education and research. So I was at the crux of, of understanding what does the industry need and then how should we teach them? Well, in order, in order to teach them, I had to learn it. And then I had to determine from all of the variety of sources of information about, well, for instance, how do you create a compliant timeshare lease? Well, <laughs> it would be my job to distill seven different opinions into what looked like the most common set of practices and then work with, you know, in those days I would call Bob Hicks and say, could you take a look at this and make sure that we're not communicating something that's inappropriate or inaccurate? Um, and all of those, all of that activity really helped me to understand how the industry worked and, um, and like I said, how, how some of the methodologies for serving healthcare could be adapted to better suit the needs of that particular client base. Mm. Um, so coming to Cushman, uh, coming into the industry, I did have some reticence about that because I knew all of the firms and I sort of knew, you know, as they would say, where all the bodies are buried. But I really felt like there was a great opportunity there, too, to bring a body of knowledge that none of them would have by themselves to bear on a sector that was growing and demanding and evolving very quickly. And so I wanted to road test that theory. Sure. Yeah, well, and how, how, how has it gone? 
Um, well, it's been it's been a great ride. Um, well, certainly Cushman itself has undergone a number of changes. When I joined the firm, I joined one of the legacy firms. So we came together now as an entity. Um, Cushman and Wakefield was a merger of legacy Cushman and Wakefield and then DTZ and prior to that Cassidy Turley. So we are a, you know, about 10 times bigger than the company that I joined. We're international now. We're a publicly traded company, so we've seen a lot of changes on our side. But through the auspices of that, we now have an extraordinary array of services and capabilities that um, are really only possible in a with, with our size firm. And so that has been great because so much of that um, right, as healthcare systems are looking at retail opportunities, I have colleagues who are retail experts. I can pick up the phone and call one of them. I have a colleague who's an opportunity zone expert, and I can tap that base of knowledge. Um, I have a counterpart in London who we have some mutual investor clients. We also have a couple of health system operating clients in common. And so we can regularly compare notes across the pond and start to forge. Um, a truly global perspective on healthcare, which is exciting. Sounds like a really a powerful platform uh, it, it and is a value a powerful add. Platform, yeah, for sure. So, what are I guess some of the benefits um, to you know people listening? Benefits of, of outsourcing their property management through a platform like Cushman's. Um, so, there are many benefits to outsourcing, but I always. I always remind my teams and our clients that the best solution is the one that works best for you. And in healthcare, I just don't believe that one size fits all. So uh, I think in any in any exercise where you're looking for a partner, it's really important to understand how you want. Well, you know, first of all, what do you mean by property management? What needs to be managed? Let's look at what those activities are. Which ones do you really want to do yourself for whatever reason? Uh, you can do it better. You can do it more cost effectively. Um, you know, for internal relationship purposes, you just need to retain that or to risk manage. You just need to retain it. What do you want to do? And then what do you need a partner to do? And so I think, you know, one of the best arguments for working with an outsourced service provider is that we house real estate expertise. We hire it, we train it, we groom it, we promote it. You know, all we do is think about it and we can invest in and deploy a variety of tools that might be prohibitively expensive, right? Lease administration is a very expensive technology and we can work with a variety of platforms. So if that's not a capability that you have and you want it and you can't afford it, then that's a good that's a good opportunity to look at having a service provider. If you don't have a big enough facility management team to service a growing outpatient portfolio, right? If it's just physically dispersed and your FMs are based on your hospital campuses, it is not necessarily efficient to run those maintenance tucks in a car from the campus out to a surgery center. So in cases like that, I think it's really important to be very transparent and collaborative up front to understand what are the goals, what are we trying to accomplish, and then what are you able to accomplish, what do you want to accomplish yourself, and then what do you need help with, and then find, you know, if we're not the right partner, find a partner who, who's equipped to address those needs and to do it in a manner that's consistent with your with the health system's philosophy for servicing its assets. So what are some of the biggest challenges right now facing health systems in terms of managing their, their real estate? And we'll get to, to opportunities as right. well in a second, but, but what are some of those challenges? Well, I think one of the biggest challenges that I see and that I know a number of my, um, my panelists talked about today 
is just that their portfolios are growing and they're growing really rapidly, but their staffs are not necessarily keeping pace. And um, the technologies that they use to manage those portfolios may not also be keeping pace. And so I think that's really challenged because those, you know, in some cases, those portfolios have doubled or quadrupled in size. And um, it's a lot, you know, that, that can mean that you went from having 100 leases to 400 leases. And that's difficult if you don't have additional people to manage them. Healthcare leases get touched a lot. And so there's sort of a constant administrative burden that comes with that growth. Uh, I think one of, the other, one of the other challenges in healthcare in general, but at this particular historical moment, is just that um, there's regulatory uncertainty and there's also just an evolving set of regulations. And um, I don't mean just stark and any kickback, which has, in some ways, it feels like it's always been with us, but I'm thinking about things like site-neutral payments, which dramatically impact how you pro forma a new site and how you think about where to locate a new site. I think um, the push toward consumer-driven healthcare really changes the dynamics of site selection. And that's a different set of skills and a different set of tools than what many health systems have historically used to figure out where they want their real estate. So I think there's a, just a lot of um, evolution in the sector now to adapt to a new regulatory environment and just a new consumer that requires a different set of real estate tools and skills than what we maybe had even, even 15 years ago when I, when I started at BOMA and realized that, that medical office was an asset class mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and that people invested money in it. So what then are some of the opportunities um, you know, <clears throat> on, on the flip side of that? So I think that, I think that some of the biggest opportunities um, are to really um, Embrace the data. Embrace data is sort of my uh, my mantra. There's a lot of data available that health systems have themselves about their patients and about um, future demand that doesn't always make its way into real estate decision making, but should and could create a much more foolproof strategy around where to put particular services or particular facilities. Uh, I think there's also a lot of, we, we could all do a better job of managing the data around how our assets perform as assets and really understanding, um, you know, the way any investor would want to know, right? What is, what are, what are we generating and operating in common rent in this particular facility? How much of it is occupied and how much of it is vacant? Um, are there opportunities to lease up what we already have? Are we paying rent on vacant spaces? I mean, really, really, really um, mining the data that's available to us to create a much more optimal portfolio, I think, is a great opportunity and can drive some pretty significant expense savings. So, Lori, I want to switch gears a little bit. Um, you know, we're the, the Healthcare Real Estate Legal Summit uh, ha has just concluded, and you led a, a panel discussion um, on property management trends and specifically to, to for healthcare facilities. Could you give us maybe a, a little bit of a recap or what, what did you view as kind of some of the nuggets of information that you kind of took away from that or that our listeners might take away from that? Sure. So I think one of the most important um, one of the most important observations from our panel is just that there are no no two systems operate that that activity the same. So our 
Um, Nancy and Laura from Mercy Health, you know, they manage all of their real estate internally with internal teams, including internal legal teams. Um, Ashley, our other panelist from Atrium Health, has a combination of internal teams, including an internal legal team, and then external external resources, including a property management partner and external counsel. So I think it's. Um, I think that's always good to know that there are just different models that evolve for that meet various needs. I think a couple of the other things that we heard is that there's a real, um, a lot of, both of them echo that understanding control, having both control but flexibility in their portfolio and structuring that into leases or purchase and sale agreements or options for buybacks has become absolutely critical. And there are many reasons for that. First of all, there's a lot of new owners and new new investors who are seeking opportunities in this space. And there's also just um, a lot of dynamism around what the health system might want to do and when they might want to do it. So, you know, one of their goals is to try and optimize that footprint and their control over it so that as their, their care delivery evolves, their portfolio can quickly adapt to those new changes. And then, of course, we, we close by talking a lot about retail strategies and how they're approaching that. Um, Mercy has a pretty significant urgent care strategy that they've launched in St. Louis. It's very fast. In nine weeks, they can have them open, and they have literally kind of blitzed our city with options on every corner, which is great and very convenient for patients. Um, but they've partnered to do that because they, they recognize that they didn't have you know, the internal expertise to, to execute as quickly as they needed to. So it's, um, I think we got a pretty good cross-section of some trends that other, other health systems everywhere else are grappling with. Yeah, and I guess that's, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll close with that question. You know, we heard from a couple of, of well-respected health systems. I know you have the opportunity to work nationwide with a number, a, a, a vast number of, of others. Um, is what we saw today representative, or are there other uh, trends or other um, approaches that you've seen that are kind of on the rise? So I, I, I think what we saw today is fairly representative. I think most health systems are really um, are in some sort of growth mode, at least for their outpatient um, services. They're looking hard at taking care closer to the patients. I think that's a, a fairly common refrain and a common strategy. Um, what varies is the way that that, the, the manner and form of that execution. And a lot of how you execute your outpatient strategy depends on who you are and where you are and who your competition is. So we've seen um, in some markets, urgent care is really popular, sort of to the point of saturation. In other markets, we're seeing experimentation with all new sorts of facilities, like micro hospitals, for instance, are are evolving and we're starting to see them. There are only 50 now. In two years, will there be 250? I don't think we know. Um, you know, freestanding EDs have, have come and in some markets they seem to be here to stay. In other markets, they seem to be really challenged. Um, so we're, I think we're definitely seeing an evolution of the types of outpatient facilities and in the strategy for how you create an outpatient strategy to capture market share and to serve as a patient base. Um, I think the other the other um, interesting um, evolution is this um, focus on on the patient and patient centered care and how that translates into the real estate footprint. And I mean, Laura made an, an, a great point about how much effort Mercy is investing in creating, you know, branded facilities that look alike, so that the minute a patient steps into them, they know they're in a Mercy facility. And I definitely see that in all the markets that I visit. Um, there is a much greater focus on making sure that 
Um, hospitals have clear signage that patients know where they're receiving care and from whom. Mm -hmm. Well, Lori Damon, thank you so much for being with us. It's been a pleasure talking with you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks, Joel. Thanks. And if you liked what you heard on this podcast, please subscribe on iTunes. And if you're interested in additional content from Hall Render, uh, we, uh, you can send me an email at jswider at hallrender.com, J-S-W-I-D-E-R at hallrender.com to subscribe to our monthly newsletter. Thanks again. <music>